Hi there and welcome to this week's edition of The Leading Conversation with me, Tom Dawson-Squibb, and former Springbok 7's captain, Kyle Brown. We've really enjoyed the diverse array of guests over the past few weeks, and this week we decided to turn back to rugby to a former Springbok captain, Stormers captain, now Supersport pundit, and importantly, head of philanthropy at Citadel Wealth Management, Jean de Villiers. Jean's a bit of a scarcity on social media and it was hard to find real in-depth interviews with him, so we're really chuffed that he agreed to come on with us. He's had a fantastic professional rugby career with many highs and some serious lows on the injury front as well. Despite that, he remained largely loyal to the Western Province and Stormers Union with only a brief sojourn to Ireland and managed to maintain his motivation for many, many years. Jean has now seamlessly moved into his role at Citadel where he's having to lead in a pretty different way. We asked Sean what the move has been like, what he went through with all his injuries those years ago, how he viewed himself as a leader, and even why is he so scarce on interviews. Sean's consistent and a super good guy. He shares his views and his wisdom extremely freely with us. Please let us know what you think and enjoy the conversation. Cool, welcome. Uh, here we are uh, back again. Kyle, lovely to see you, uh, to be in the same city as you, albeit not in the same room. How are you doing? Tom, we haven't been in the same room for over a year, so I know, I'm, I know. I'm happy the way we have this relationship right now. And uh, no, I'm I'm good. I'm very well, thanks. Cool, great. Well, it's nice to be back for me um, from an interesting experience, and it is awesome to be sitting here with um, former Springbok captain, Stormers captain Jean de Villiers. Jean, how are you doing? Yeah, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on your on your podcast. Uh, and commiserations, I suppose, with what you've been through this week. Uh, I was actually thinking maybe I should rather be asking the questions today and you respond. <laughs> Look, you are, a, you are a super sport pundit now. So maybe one day when I, when I grow up, I'll get interviewed by you, you know, but it's, we're not there yet. Yeah, I don't know if you're ready for that mentally. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it is lovely to have you. You know, you're sitting there with with your backdrop um, of of Citadel Wealth Management, and I think you know, I almost wanted to dive into that a little bit. Everyone knows you as this, as a rugby player, as a rugby pundit, a, a, a leader, um, and you've gone into this role of head of head of philanthropy at Citadel. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated to know maybe what that means, what what that is, and like, what does it mean for you? How has it given you energy and purpose? Yeah, look, Tom, thanks, for, thanks for that. I think firstly, I should say, you know, how did I land in this position and in this job? And and that was actually something that I never, uh, I never envisaged it to work out the way the way that it did. But I, I'm very fortunate in that as well. You know, having having been in a in a rugby career for, you know, I think 17 years that I played professional rugby, you know, and it's the only thing you know. You, you get out of school, you, you play rugby, um, you focus on rugby, you, you focus on getting better, and then uh, at some stage it stops. You know, what what, what now? Uh, and I think so many guys go through that, you know, go through that what now moment and and always knowing that it'll come to an end but not not, not being prepared for when it when it eventually ends. And and luckily, I started a relationship with Citadel a couple of years prior to to retiring. Um, at that stage, still seeing value in in me as a as a rugby player and being captain of the Springboks at that stage, but with a long term view of hopefully you know after I retire getting um, getting something and and still thought that I'd go into the in the into the financial part of you know the business. Um, I then retired and and the CEO sat me down and said, okay, what do I want to do? We've got this, we've got that, whatever. Um, 
I've been an ambassador for a couple of charities throughout my throughout my career, um, and it is something that I'm that I suppose I'm, I'm passionate about. And you know, playing for the box, you 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 at a level where you've got a platform where you can um, where you can really inspire, provide hope, and and where people listen. Um, and then he said, well, you know, our philanthropy division, um, the guys moved on. Um, you know, how about um, heading up our, our philanthropy within Citadel? And I can remember my my, uh, my friend and, and agent at the time, he was still with me in the meeting and we kind of walked out the meeting and I was like, Stan, what's philanthropy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because uh, and, and, uh, I kind of understood the broader you know the 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 broader uh, picture and and what we were trying to do, but I, yeah, it was a big word for me. Uh, uh, but then you know when I when I dug into it a little bit and uh, and looked at what what was going to be needed, etc. Um, it was just you know it was great, a great opportunity with a reputable company. Um, you know, walking straight into a job and and where you can really make a difference in people's lives. So I had like a six month period to prove myself. Um, and flip and hell, you know, it was the biggest learning experience ever trying to, trying to understand everything really. And in the core business uh, itself uh, as a wealth management business as well. And then after six months, I got, uh, you know, I got full-time employment luckily. So, um, so it's been, yeah, it, it's been great. It's been great to see some of the projects in South Africa and people making a difference in, in others' lives, um, and also it, it gives perspective to what we have and, and to show how privileged we are as well. Yeah, it's so interesting, Jean, because, you know, you get this, there, there might be people who say, oh, you know, he, he got into that role because of rugby, which might have some truth to it, but then they said, well, you've got six months to prove yourself. So suddenly you were under a little bit of pressure. Like, how did you, you know, you were used to dealing with pressure on a field, but how did you then deal with that? Like, geez, actually, I don't want to get fired after six months. How did you deal with that? Yeah, I, I had to. I had to prove myself. Um, you know, like we have to do constantly on on the rugby field. But this time around, I was I wasn't going onto the field and and feel comfortable in in that environment because I've been doing it for so long. I had to walk into an office and and try and figure out what to do. You know something totally new to me and 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 I was challenged in a totally different way and and I suppose it was it was good for me as well because it it made that transition a little bit easier you know I wasn't just thinking about rugby all the time and thinking of oh I wish i I wish I could still play I wish or whatever you know it it totally it totally moved my focus to something new um and and wanting to you know wanting to prove that I can do it and you know, on the topic of leadership, I have to give credit to to our CEO at the time and still CEO, Andrew Moller, who, you know, he, he kind of took a punt on me as well. Um, and, and I was provided with that opportunity. And, and luckily, I could, you know, I could, I could repay the faith and, and, and deliver. But, um, you know, there's no doubt I got there because of rugby. But then eventually, I, um, I had to prove myself and, and prove that I can add value to the business. Did you have a moment, did you have a moment, sorry, Kyle, I just wanted to ask this, did you have a moment, Sean, where you thought, I don't know what the F I'm doing right now? Actually not, Tom. Um, okay. I, I had <laughs> moments. It was, it was a constant. It was, I, I mean, I think to this day still sometimes, you know, so, so remember, 
Now you get this rugby player. So okay, I went to I went to varsity um uh for for one year to to Stellenbosch, and um and I never I studied a BCom marketing management course. Never finished my course, and my dad started a, a an insurance brokerage, his own book, and my brother and I had equity in that. So I always had interest kind of in in this field. But never, never really, you know, got the degree and, and, and the backing to, to step into a job at a wealth management company. So, so now suddenly you step in there and yes, philanthropy is my, is my core, core role and, and deliverable or where I need to deliver on. But I need to understand the bigger picture of the company as well. So now I sit in these um, advisor meetings and, and asset management meetings. And literally, you know, of the two hours or, well, sometimes an hour, sometimes six hours, but of, of the entire uh, presentation, 95% of what is said goes straight over my head. I've got, <laughs> I've got no idea. And, um, and actually, I spoke to Skulk Berger and to um, Skulk Brits and to Brian Banner on a post, them retiring as well, because they only retired after me. And what I did back then, I would go into a meeting and the only notes that I would make would be the abbreviations and stuff that they talk about, you know, so it's like ROI and, 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 and whatever, because every, everything is abbreviated. And I would yeah. write that down. And then after the meeting, I'd go Google and try <laughs> to figure out, okay, which one is this and what makes sense, you know? Um, and that's how, I, that's how I eventually got through it. And, you know, I, I certainly understand it far better now. I'm still not a, a specialist or anything or in a position to advise anyone. But, you know, I understand the business. I'm comfortable in what I'm doing. I, you know, enjoy the people that I'm working with. And I've, I've, I've found a team that... Um, that that that's accepted me as a uh, as one of their teammates, you know, and 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 knowing that I can add value in that uh, environment. John, you said I mean you, you I think we mentioned before we actually pressed record that you're now celebrating five years of retirement from rugby. That question of what now, with a little bit of reflection, with five years of growth and and better understanding of that the position where you are now, how how would that how would you approach that question upon retirement have changed? Uh, over the last five years, um, Carl, you know what? Like, I, I think I was extremely lucky. You know, so so obviously you, uh, I was in a position. You know, you're Springbok captain, and um, and and there hasn't been many over. You know, in the history of of rugby in South Africa, there's captain South Africa. Um, so you you kind of you would like to think that you, you know, in a higher percentage of, of, of rugby players in South Africa in terms of, of value, um, I suppose. But then then you retire and you think, okay, well, well, what now? And for me, it was still, it was, it was bloody difficult, okay? And, and, and I was lucky because I walked into this job at Citadel, plus I walked into a job at, at Supersport being, being um, a, a little bit still involved in rugby, and still, it was extremely difficult for me, you know. So, so I had my why back then, but now I can, I can honestly sit here and 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 say that, you know, my my day to day has changed significantly since I was a rugby player, but I definitely have purpose in in what I do, and because I do the philanthropy stuff at Citadel, it's um, you know, it gives a totally different perspective on on life on. 
um, on, on how I see life and, and what a difference I can make in people's uh, in other people's lives. So, so it's it's you know I've I've found my why. It's 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 not it's not as as strong as I suppose and as clear as what it was when I was a rugby player, but it's certainly something that I'm that I'm enjoying and where I feel it's it's um, you know it it I can I can sleep well at night and and I can do something where my kids can can ask me, you know, what did I do today? And you can really tell them with a smile on your face that you've that you've done something significant. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sort of in that position now. But I've also got a lot of friends that are leaving rugby and they and they, they're going through all the same stuff. It's all and I think there's not just rugby, there's a lot of sports people going through the same thing. There's a constant question of what now and I mean, if there's three takeaways from what, what I've heard you say is one that I quite liked was finding a team, you know, a team away from sport. Uh, where you felt comfortable and where you felt safe then the other was finding a purpose um, and I know that's quite a broad statement but something in my head what you said now is something that you enjoy and and gives you life every day and get up Um, and I quite like the idea of that longer form connection pre-retirement you know and and that's something that you know I'd love to take back to a couple of the guys or maybe if they listen to this and say okay well maybe that's something I could work on in these last year or two is just looking at the, the different connections you have and and finding somebody that is willing to take that punt on them you know begin that yeah. connection yeah Carl and you know I can't emphasize it enough that that relationships relationships is what what brought me to where I am today you know seeing seeing value in in taking time to to speak to someone and chat to someone while you might still be seen as someone with um call it authority or status or or whatever so so and what i'm trying to say through that is you know when when you're a springbok when you springbok captain you know it's very easy when you're in a in a in a crowded room and it's a rugby event going on people want to speak to you because you know that's what it's all about that's why they came to this event and it's easy just to rubbish off everyone and and go stick with the people that you know and and just um uh you know be in conversation with them but to be able to invest in in, in spending time with other people, getting to know them, you might not get the value in that immediately. But over a period of time, I guarantee you that that will, that that will come back and, and, and it, you will benefit from that. Because I certainly did. And I can't say exactly how it works and how it will pan out. But I'm telling you, there's value in that. And people underestimate that. You know, so many times... I saw, you know, we, we'd have a Springbok event and, and the majority of the team would just migrate to the corner of the room and, and be on their phones and might be on social media, but not, not wanting to invest in, in spending time with other people, getting to, to, to know other people and, and, and hopefully that leading to something else. Then that guy retires and now you want a job and now you want to go back to that person, you know. And now you want to go ask them for a job, you know, when, when you weren't willing to put in the, the effort when, when you might have been that guy uh, um, with, with the status. So what so, interests uh, me yeah. there on your side of things, is that now, do you think that's inherently part of who you were? And, and this is sort of focused around a question based on connections amongst teammates and how, you know, on and off the field. But is that who you are as a person anyway? Or did you... Because I don't believe that, you know, five years from retirement, you had that agenda of, well, I need to talk to these people because I need to invest time in this relationship because I need a job after rugby. Yeah. 
Yeah, look, good question. Uh, and, and I think uh, inherently it is who I am. Uh, you know, it, it certainly, your personality certainly plays a part in that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a people's person. I like to, I like to, you know, talk to other people. I like to get to know other people. And it interests me. You know, people, people interest me. I, you know, I like to sit in a coffee shop and just watch people walk past and see how they behave and what they do. Um, you know, so, so, and, and also, you know, in the same with, I want to say it, it's, it's also not, it's not a status thing for me. You know, I, I like to I like to know know the names of all the people you know in the gym in the gym that I go to and you know because you I see them the every day. Do you? I, I mean, I, I can. I actually don't want to. If I take my shirt off, I might well, get. Well, some that's the thing. thing. Nobody can see um, this video, but I'm telling you, yeah. it's it's very hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just just stretching, stretching <laughs> mostly. But whether I go to the gym or whether I go to my, my local shop or whatever, I, I like to, you know, just spend time, say hello, ask how they're doing, you know, whether it's whatever role they are, whether it's a CEO or whether it's whatever, you know. And and I just believe there's, you know, there's a humane element in that, in not treating people in a certain way because of the status that they have or anything, but just getting to know people for, for what they are and, and for who they are. Um you know, so so that that's I suppose that is my personality, and 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 luckily it worked out for me that through doing that I um, I was able to you know get some opportunities. Sean, um, the the concept of connection has actually been spoken about a lot over the last eighteen months because of COVID, and you know we've all been working remotely and what have you. Um, you were part of. You were part of one union for actually a long time and a small time at Munster, but obviously the box and now at a, in an organization, a big organization. What is your viewpoint or approach been to building connections? Is it something that you feel just happens organically? Do you work quite harder? Do you enable it to work? What's your viewpoint on that? Yeah, I think I think a bit of all of that that you just mentioned. Uh, I think it does, uh, you know, inherently you do, you do have to... Um, it does happen naturally as well, but you have to put time and effort into it. You know, it's it's investing in human capital, investing in relationship. It's like, you know, my my marriage. You know, a marriage is something you you know. Even though you know, I've been married now for eleven years. I've been with my wife for seventeen years. It's you know, we we still you need to put time and effort into making it work because we all get older. We all change over time and if you don't change um together you, you know then you might change so much that you that you drive each other apart uh um you know so so any relationship for me is like that you need to you need to build on it but also it needs to come from from both sides you know it, there needs to be effort from both sides and um i suppose coming from a from a rugby background you know you you've Every time you build a relationship, and you you give a little bit of yourself, okay, and um and that person can can take as much as they as they want really if you are willing if you are willing to give and you want to make that relationship work, but in rugby you know you you give so much more of yourself. Uh, rugby really is a a sport where you you put your body on the line, but then off the field you also you give of yourself your personality. Etc. Et with the time you spend off the field, and that bond to me is just something that's been so strong over the years. And you know, actually, 
couple of weeks ago, we, um, you know, Scott Berg and myself went to Bloemfontein and we met up with all, you know, our teammates there again. And we went out for dinner and it was, it was just, it was just so amazing because some of the guys we haven't seen in such a long time, you know, but immediately it's there. The connection is there again. And, uh, and then we always leave there and then it's like, we must do this again soon again. You know, we, we don't do this often enough. And, and then life happens again because you don't put, time into into making it work and when you do do it it's just so special so it's a bit of both it happens naturally but you you need to be able to invest some time into it if you took us back so we had we, we spoke to john smith i can't remember now eight weeks ago and um you know he was talking about being with the box and and, and you do have different groups you know you got guys from Pretoria and you got guys from cape town and what have you was there any moment or moments as you mentioned earlier that you can remember as a springbok where something quite powerful happened to connect people, um, either intentionally or not. Yeah, the, you know, I don't think it's something that, that that magically happened or anything like that. Uh, but you know, sometimes the personalities that you have in your team um, helps. So, so in in that era, you know, when you speak about John Smith, we. You know, so when the group got together in two thousand and four under Jake, you know, we were we were still very much, um, you know, it was it was very much union orientated, a, a big bulls click, a big sharks click, um, and and actually in terms of the the stormers in Western Province, we weren't that many that many guys involved. Um, you know, initially we we were quite a few, but if you say over a four to eight year period, the only the only constants in a way, um, you know, was, was Skulk Berger and myself. Uh, and, and that actually, I think we benefited from it because Skulk, um, similar to me, we, we, people, we like people. So we're comfortable in, in mixing and, and matching with whoever. So I think in a way we were, we were the glue sometimes that brought the bulls and the sharks together and the lions and the, and the the, the, the cheetahs and, and all of that because we we kind of could connect to to all of those um and you know eventually towards towards the end you know we we were just a bunch of, of mates everyone you know from pretoria Joburg, bloomies cape town durban wherever guys just got on and we weren't the same you know we we, we differed on so many levels but we we found a connection point with each person in that group. And when it came to that, whether that was golfing or going fishing or having a beer afterwards or, or whatever, you know, we could connect on that on that level. Um so so it it's finding that, that hook where you're on the same level as someone else and then you enjoy spending time when you do that or, or talk about that and, and when you're not then you, you then you find another connection again. I just I want to touch on on that depth of connection or that you know where you were speaking about rugby and taking yourself through the trenches with somebody and that inherently creates a really deep connection. I've got guys that you know possibly on a on a social level we might not even talk that much, but because of what we've been through, you know whatever through training or playing, it seems to have built a connection that is lifelong. It will never ever end and we'll never ever forget what we went through together. Is there, a, is there a way to emulate that kind of depth of connection away from sport? You know, there's, sport has these dark spaces where you are pushed to your physical limits and all that, and it's very cool, but 
that doesn't happen 99% of the daily life that doesn't happen and we but we do seek those connections we want that depth of connection now how do we get that yeah I, I think it's something that's extremely difficult to emulate um, but also you know when you're in that team environment I think when you've when you've been in a team with someone for a long period of time you know the I suppose the um, what's the word I'm looking for but the um, you know the, the 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 difficult or the the willingness to open up um it's it's easier you know it's easier to open up to your to your teammates when you've you know known them for a long time and where you've um you, you've you've won their trust uh and and you know then then it's easier to to share when you are going through a difficult time where you've struggled through a game where you let the team down or anything like that and I think it, it's in it's in those moments of 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 vulnerability, where where connections really become stronger, and and I think in you know when you're not in a sporting environment, you you don't have enough of those opportunities to actually share vulnerabilities and where you can uh, you know get a little bit closer and make those connections stronger. So. Uh, it's never it's never the same it's it's never the same as a sporting environment but but still going through adversity brings people together sometimes but i think in the working environment it's not sharing those adversities with with colleagues maybe i'm i'm interested in digging into these moments of vulnerability because it's like one of my key points on a thesis of what makes a great team vulnerability is one of the huge pillars and and i'm interested as to why you, you wouldn't be able to or, or would you do you feel there are moments where you can create levels of vulnerability off the sporting field we, we you know we're away from sports now we can't because that's not regular life but we do again i need to go back to the fact that we need these connections amongst people to create something deep and beautiful and relationships that are long and enduring and and i 100 percent agree with you the vulnerability vulnerability is the key to it yeah, look, and, and I think we've seen it in, in um, during the COVID time, you know, where people have been apart more than ever, but might have been closer than ever from a, from a you know, deep uh, connection point of view. You know, because, because you, you, I think because in a way you've, you've realized again what, what is important, who you want to spend your time with, what you want to do with your time. Um, and when you do do that, you get you get closer to the people that you spend your time with, uh, and that connection goes a, li- a little bit deeper than um, than what it's been before. So, uh, you know, I, I think again, you know, the vulnerabilities and the adverse adversity is part of life. You know, you'll go you'll go through stuff that 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 seems impossible to get through. You'll go through a time where you lose someone close to you. Um, you know where there's there's a death in the family, or your business plummets, or um, you know your business is not profitable, or or whatever, and that's going that'll be flipping tough. You know it'll be so difficult for you to get through that. But sometimes we we try and fight through it by ourselves, and sometimes the the uh, the solution is actually to to get someone to help you get through it. You know, and, and I always use the 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 example of of when I used to do rehab. You know, from a big injury and whatever. I had times where, where I wanted to quit. I had so many times when I wanted to quit, where I, I didn't want to get up and put in the work because I, I just I didn't feel as if I could. 
But then it was, it, it, it was my physio or my trainer or my wife or, or whatever that, that motivated me and, and, and literally got, got me up to, to just give that first step again and, uh, and put in the work. And, you know, sometimes we just want to, we want to do it all ourselves. And, and the, the solution is actually to, to ask for help. I um I, I often talk, John, like people talk about KPIs, you know, you got them in your business and I talk about KPPs, which is key performance people. And I think unless we understand who our little tribe is and can and and open ourselves up to connecting with them, we battle. But I think I wanted to challenge you both because you know, we're talking about vulnerability and depth. Now that's not something that people would traditionally put together with hard and rugby guys. Um, and sometimes on the flip side of that, there's that real edge that you've got to bring. So <laughs> I wanted to just share, uh, uh, probably what was it, last week, um, we were talking about my Varsity Cup experience and our, our star fly-off came on in the last game of the round robin stages and he got hit by a high tackle and I could see that he was, he was out and he was probably going to miss the, the playoffs. And uh, I, was, I was irritated, as you can imagine, as most coaches would be, and upset. And uh, my captain came down and sat next to me on the bus. And uh, he's about 13 years younger than me. And he sat down, literally, he's, he's, he's an unbelievable human being, this guy. And he sat and he was sort of in my, in my face. And he said, Tom, it's not ideal, but I and the team need you to be calm. So you need to calm down, you need to relax, you need to be confident for us going forward. And he literally, his finger in my face like this. Obviously, I wanted to punch him, but um, it was it was an amazing it was an amazing like moment that that I had there because he was hundred percent right, um, and so there was vulnerability. But what there also was was there was challenge, um, and I, I wanted to know sort of both of your thoughts on, you know, Jean, you you said that you're you're a people's person, you're a nice guy. Like, where did in your career like challenge and actually calling someone out on that's not good enough where did that come in did it come in enough for you yeah it, it, it has to come in um but it's also in a team environment you, you know there are things that you can say for the collective but then you need to you need to know the rest of your team and how to treat the individuals when it's one-on-ones because some guys you know will crack under the pressure if you challenge them too much where, you know, they need to be nurtured a little bit more. They need to be told that, okay, it's fine. You may, you know, you made a mistake. The game might not have gone your way. But, you know, look at this. Look how great you've been before. Look, look, look what you can do for us. We want more of that. And, and, and just have that, um, you know, that, that more of a positive, you know, you know, outlook on it. And then there are other guys, when you tell them that they are the worst thing ever to come onto the earth, you know, that is what motivates them. Um, so, so that's again where you need to invest time in knowing the individual and then how to treat them in these different in these dif- different um, situations, you know. So, so it's 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 very much you know getting getting to know people. You you need to and you can't treat everyone the same because not everyone's not the same, and they won't react the same. Um, so you know it it it's it's difficult. Sorry, Tom. The 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 um. It it's difficult to when you get so close to people, um, in a team environment. It's difficult to tell them when they've been wrong, and it's difficult difficult to challenge people. But you know, if you do it from a position of we need to do this because we want to make the team better, you know, then then it's so much easier and also extremely important that if you mess up, 
the same will happen with you and you will be told out as well. You know, because a lot of the time we, we're open to giving advice and telling people when, when they're wrong. But man, oh man, we don't like it to be told when we are wrong or when yeah. we made a mistake. Were you ever able, Sean, in your career, I mean, you're obviously tight with, with guys like Jacques Ferry and Scott Berger, Brian O'Banner. Do, do you remember at any point where you were able to take on those guys that you were most close with? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, the nice thing as well in, in, in those kind of relationships would usually be that if, you know, any of those, including myself, uh, would, would be in the wrong, they and I would, would know it before someone needs to tell me. You know, and that and that you and that you actually, you know, you know, all everyone's going to make mistakes. Again, when we we talk about rugby sport, but in business, in life, you're going to make a mistake. But if you if you see people owning that mistake and say, you know, and you can see there's there's remorse, there's there's an attitude of trying to rectify the wrong wrongs that's been done, you know, then almost I want to say, well, perfect. I, I don't have to do anything. But if if it's a mistake has been made and then immediately excuses come, no but, no but this, and no that one this, you know, that, that's when you need to have the, um, you know, those tough conversations. And, and you know, if those names that you just mentioned, Tom, you know, those are world-class players. And, and, and they're world-class players because you, you never had to do that with them because they always knew and they, you know, they always tried to fix it and, and make it better. Yeah, Tom, I I understand your question, and when it you know when you when you word it the way you do, it almost sounds like things you know wow it could be confrontational if this kind of thing happens. It never is. In those kind of moments, like you're saying, those players are world class enough, and the reason why they are world class is not just because of their on field talent; it's because of their emotional intelligence off the field, and what they commit and what they contribute to the team and the, and the value that they add. And one of them would be to actively take responsibility of of you know. Uh, their mistakes for one, but their part that they play within the team, and they know when they're not stepping up to that, they don't really need to be finger in the face, being like, "You didn't bloody do this good enough." Like, the the fact of the matter is, it's not a confrontational thing at all. If anything, it's a possibly a gentle reminder. After that, anything you would say to each other would be purely beneficial. On 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 saying like, um, just some small bit of advice. I think maybe we could have changed this better. That's it. You know, it's it's far less of pointing out an error that you've made because they, like Jean said, they they're well aware of that already. Mm, mm. No, it's in- yeah, cool. I mean, it's interesting if, we, if you think back, Jean. We had Wolgenia on some while ago, and he recounted such a great story about how Quade Cooper and him were pretty young guys in that 2011 Reds team. In fact, you would have played against them, and um, he, a couple of the players came to them and said that. Quade Cooper needs to be reined in a little bit here. Yeah. You know, he's a little bit he's a little bit much. And the players did it without the coach. Uh, so it was him and, and, and James Hall, who was a captain and what have you. And they, and they sort of, were, and they reckon Quade then showed a visible change and became quite a leader in that team. And I just love that story of, of peers being able to, and Carl, I get your point completely. It doesn't have to be competition, but peers being able to self and course correct um, within a team without needing some hierarchical force. Yeah, and, and that's so powerful, eh, Tom. When it when it's done internally, you know, from from your peers, and 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 when you when you share like that, I mean, there's there's so much power in that, and you know, and if if the individual does not respond to that, then then he doesn't belong, mm. you know. So so it's it, it's the best way of doing it because you 
you really see the character of the individual then and it, and it comes out and um yeah it's uh it it's it's extremely powerful that John, I get the you say when when he doesn't belong. I also get the feeling that some people choose not to belong. They don't want to belong anymore. You know, there's like you say, relationships take time and and they, it requires growth over time. And there is a point where I think players choose. Well, I've had enough of this place, and then and that's when you start seeing those kind of things, and they don't respond well to their teammates around them. Yeah, that that it, Carl. That is that is so true and so important because you know if if I to think who um you know the person the player was when i when i started at western province you know my senior career or, or let's say when i made my springbok debut at the age of 21 versus who i was you know uh, as a 34 year old um at the end of my career as captain of the, uh, two totally different individuals you know the I, I i don't even think the two would have invited each other for for a drink uh you know, if they got to to know each other, they will. Um, but uh, uh, but it's you know you you change over time, and and sometimes you change out of the environment that you used to be so comfortable in, and then you move on. You know, it's to the benefit of everyone. But we we're scared of change. You know, we 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 we're scared of moving on and and accepting that that sometimes people don't like what you have. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, because you. You, you create what you have for, um, you know, to be able to get success, but also for the people in that environment to be happy and to be able to function in that environment that you've created. Jean, we were talking actually just before you logged on. We were saying like, if I look at Jean de Villiers, there's a traditionalness to you. There's a, you know, from Paul Jones, Delamos University, uh, you know, achieved from early age, precocious talent, and then stayed, I know you did a little stint at Munster, but you stayed a lot at One Union, you know, which is almost be unheard of these, these days. Um, do, you think your, do you think your leadership style was quite traditional in itself or did you try to be something different? Did you ever try to buck the trend of what you had experienced in when you were a younger player? Yeah, again, Tom, yeah, that, that's such a difficult question because, you know, I can, I can only relate to to who I was and am. So, mm. you know, what, what is, what is, what is normal? What is, um, you know, it, it, what, what is traditional? Mm. Um, but in a way, I think, you know, again, it's, it's, it's much easier to, to lead a team and to, to lead an organization as such when you really are so embedded and so part of what's been created there. And, and that, that was the case for me at Western Province, uh, you know, and the Stormers, in that, you know, my dad played for Western Province. Um, you know, he was involved for a number of years from an administrative po- point of view, um, you know, yeah, at, at, and at Paul Rugby Club and, and then at Western Province as well. And, you know, I, I represented Western Province for the first time when I was 13 years old in 1994 at the Craven Week. Um, and, and prior to that, you know, going to my first test match with my dad and my and my brother in '92 at Newlands, and and just experiencing all of that and watching, um, Western Province League and Western Province under twenty one, and then the Curry Cup team on a Saturday, uh, and and kicking the ball post post the main game, you know, playing on on Newlands Stadium, and trying to emulate the guy uh, emulate the guys that you've that you've just watched play, um, while whilst my parents are at the cocktail party or whatever they used to call it um 
you know, and, and then getting the opportunity of, of playing for Western Province, you know, and, and literally living my dream. You know, that is, that is something that, that not a, a honor that not a lot of people get and privilege that not a lot of people get. So um, I suppose when, it get, when we get back to leadership, it's like, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been through every stage of a supporter of Western Province and then a player of Western Province, you know, so, so I kind of know what's, what's expected. Um, and then you always put your, your personal touch, I suppose, on, on the way that you lead. Uh, and and I, I would like to say that I, I hope that I did that as well. Um, and, and also from a, from a broader point of view, you know, having learned from so many other guys, you know, A. John Smith playing under him for, for so long and, and learning from all the, the, you know, the way that he, that he used to lead the team and, and so many others as well, you know. So taking all the, all the good stuff from that and then, you know, blending it all together and putting your personal touch on it. Yeah, my, my experience of, of leadership and Kyle, I'm interested to hear your thoughts here, is that like, it's quite nice to have a little bit of a North Star. So when you get home in your car after a practice or after a day or whatever it might be, and you like, you sort of ask yourself, did I do this? Or was I this kind of a person? And just to have a couple of trigger points that you can come back to, to know like, was I authentic? Or was I the type of leader I want to be? Were there any, for both of you, were there any... Were there any sort of North Stars that you had um, on a day-to-day or week-to-week or month-to-month basis where you would look at yourself and say, yes, I did or no, I didn't achieve what I wanted to as a leader, regardless of the results of the team? Uh, Yeah, listen, I think it's, you know, maybe our career paths are similar in terms of staying at one union for a long time. And I think that's, for me, was a big North Star for me. That was, you know, which direction is this team heading in and what's the best way that I can help take the team there and contribute to that. So it was generally an alignment thing, Tom, based on, you know, my values and how they aligned with the team values. And that was my truth. If if there were, you know, times where I was tested and I I swayed from that, I had to question why I did it. You know, did it serve my purpose or did it serve the team's purpose? And I suppose that's at the point if I... If I had to compromise myself so that the team was better off because then that's fine. I could do that momentarily, but I would prefer not to compromise myself for my own gain. And I think, and I think that's the, the, the values of the alignment between the team and the individual were quite key in terms of keeping me on track, I think. Yeah, yeah that's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good explanation that Carl and, and, and I suppose mine, mine was very similar, but also I can, you know, I can look back in my career as a captain and, and, and say that, you know, there were times where I could look back now and really, um, you know, say that some of the decisions were made to to benefit me, and and, and maybe jeopardise the the you know the team and and certainly towards the end of my career when I, you know, with the World Cup etc. and you know there were question marks whether I should get selected, whether I should be captain, whether I should be in the squad as a whole, you know, and um and and you try and. You try and uh, kind of in your mind try and justify that it is the right decision, etc. Uh, and in that moment, it seems like the perfect one. But you know, when you look back, then maybe it wasn't. Uh, um, again, that that's that's just an opinion. Um, but also to come back to your question, Tom, I don't think I was ever as um, you know, kind of a kind of captain and leader that that gave much thought as to, you know, the way that I'm leading at the moment. Um, you know, it was, I suppose it was more of a, 
a natural ass, I suppose, for lack of a better word. It just, I just did what I did, um, kind of thing, and I and I tried to, if anything, I just tried to be a a good person, you know, every day. And it's it's you know this mushy nice feely kind of words you're gonna say that but it's not it's really not it's it is there's so much to being a good person and for that to be an example of of a leader throughout yeah yeah Yeah, and 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 then and then through that like like i've mentioned so many times is you know investing in the people that i'm surrounded with you know whether that be the coaches the management or or the or the players my, my teammates um and through that you learn through that hopefully you become better but certainly towards the end, you know, there was there was a a big drive for me to to prove people wrong, I suppose, in a way, um, you know, and and my my judgment might have been, you know, might have been blurred at times with that. But but then again, you know, I, I never I never selected selected the teams, and I always said the best coaches were the ones that selected me. <laughs> <laughs> there is a question I must ask because. Uh, and this it fascinates me like rugby is glamorous and there's a crowd and you're running out in front of you know 40,000 or 70 80,000 people um but like anything you've played at the same union from 21 um there is a monotony in professional sport you know it's the same thing you go to the Belleville on a Monday and you're training and you hear the meetings and what have you then I look at you and you had some serious injuries and you you had to be amazingly resilient You'd been successful, hopefully earned a little bit of money, what have you. What what for you kept you going, Jean? Like, how did you find that excitement for another Bulls derby or a, a Lions away or what have you that, that kept you and your energy? Because you had an energy about you as a player and as a human. What kept you going? Yeah, look, so so if you break down my career, it, it's, you know, exactly what you just just said with in regards to the injury. So, you know, you, you I, I made my... Western Province debut at the age of 20 or whatever, made my Springbok debut at the age of 21, um, and seven minutes into that test match, you get a knee injury. You get stretched off. You don't get celebrated and score the winning try and score a hat-trick or whatever. You get stretched off. You didn't touch the ball once. Um, okay, so so the the moment that was meant to be the biggest moment of your life, uh, it turns out to be a absolute tra- tragedy. Um, it took me nine months to get back from that. Then played another two months, got drafted into the World Cup squad to go to Australia, play a warm-up game against the Falcons in Springs, hurt my shoulder out for another eight months. Okay, So now already you've got motivation. to You want to get back. You want to play for the Springboks. Again, you want to get to test match number two. Played for the box, then make it to a World Cup because that's the next big thing, right? 07, we get to the World Cup five minutes into the second half against Samoa, first game, rupture my bicep. Off again. Okay? So this big thing you wanted to achieve, can't do it, injury once again. Um, and and then, you know, next next kind of, uh, and this is a, a brief overview of my career. Then next big thing, okay, you have the World Cup, next big thing, Lions, Lions series. Okay, you want to play against the Lions. Played against the Lions, but at that stage, you know, again, um, amazing, unbelievable, unbelievable series. Um but you know now I've been in that system for quite a long time, and then I then I actually did the move to Munster. The reason I I went to Munster as well is that they didn't have one South African player there. The the um, manager at the time was a South African, but they didn't have one South African player there. 
So I went into an environment where the people are totally different than me. They talk different than me. They, they believe in different things than me. They look at rugby in a different way that, that I look at rugby. And I will be able to be taken out of my comfort zone and learn. And that's what I did. And I absolutely loved my time at Munster. I could not have chosen a better club in the world to go to. Um, and, and that was just tremendous for my, for my career appreciating the fact of being able to play for South Africa because when I was there, I wasn't eligible to play for South Africa. Um, and to come back to Western Province and, you know, kind of add value there again and, and, and still achieve stuff there. And, you know, then it, then it kind of continued and the injuries continued as well. And every time I get injured, I need to come back and, you know, you motivated again. So, so it's like, you know, the, the, the times of adversity, when you get through it, and when you learn through it, you actually become a better person. You get to know yourself better and you get to value things more. And every single time I could come back and, um, you know, and, and value what I have and, and try and make the most of it. So, you know, I always tell people six, six knee up, shoulder reconstruction, bicep rupture, two broken jaws, couple of broken toes, ribs and fingers um, and the odd concussion. And, you know, now I'm, now I'm fine. But... You know, you look at that and it might, it might be scary, especially for parents, um, you know, wanting to let their kids play rugby. But without that, I would not be the person I am today. And I'm thankful for, yeah. for all of those uh, things happening in my, in my career. But that's awesome, John. I, I, you know, I lo- I've long believed that your pain is often your crutch. You know, it's the it's the difficulty we go through that allows us to get and and, and your your career. That, that I mean, it's the best answer I could have heard. You know, like the fact, probably, and you can never infer this completely, but the fact that you went through so much difficult times or so many difficult times probably prolonged your career, probably allowed you to stay motivated and and achieve a, bit, a lot of success. I would, you know, I would like to think so, Tom. And 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 to come back to that that my first test match, so. Um, you know, when I made my debut, I had one carry cup game, okay? One carry cup game for Western Province. Didn't play Super Rugby prior to that and got selected for the Springboks. And up until that stage, you know, played SA schools, SA 19, two years, SA 21, two years um, for the SA 7 team, went to the Commonwealth Games and then became a Springbok. So it was relatively easy, you know, at the age of 21. So had I not had that injury, you know, in my, in my debut, who knows what it, how it might have looked. But that was the first time where I really had to work so hard to, to get that feeling again of representing South Africa and, and, um, and just putting everything in, in perspective and, and valuing it more. So then tell me the difference between you and somebody in a... Okay, there's going to be very few people in a very similar situation in terms of the lead up to that point. But there are going to be people that are going to have had their first taste of professional rugby, wonderful, amazing experience, and then have the same results as that where a big injury comes through. And then they never are able to get back on that horse again. What, what's the difference? Your attitude in times of adversity will determine whether you are successful or not, or what you deem success to be. Um, you which, know, which and, that's and quite I, an interesting point. What do you deem success to be? So what was your... Exactly. What did you, what, what's your measure of success? I don't, I, don't, I don't see the fact that I played 109 test matches for South Africa as success. I'm still, I'm still trying to achieve success in my life. And I suppose when you, when, you, when you have a bit of a more holistic view on, 
on life, you know, then, then for me to be a, you know, to be a, a, a good husband and a good father to my kids and, and know that they are eventually also good people, can go into a solid job, have a solid relationship um, and, and have their own family, that would be success for me. Um, you know, and, and it's... Yeah, yeah. But not at 22, uh, 23 years old. Yeah. I, 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 why not? Um, <laughs> no, no, no. So, so yeah, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting the, the question wrong. Well, I mean, uh, no, I think no, no, you're no, also I'm, answering I'm, in hindsight. You know, you're answering yes. in hindsight now. Like, yeah. that, that point yeah, at 22, so, you've had this injury. You think this is the end of the bloody world. How are you getting back onto the field and then going on to get the next 108 caps versus the guy who had, you know, equal talent, but just yep. couldn't? Yeah, look again. I think I think I had a I had a very solid support base. Um, so so uh, a faith, friends, and family for me was was something that someone told me. Um, you know, actually after that first injury, and it's something that just stuck with me. You know, uh, and, and making my support system strong with with people that can add value to my life, and uh, with those three things in mind, and and I was lucky you know, throughout my career that I had amazing people that helped me to get to, get to I suppose, where I am now. Um, solid family, you know, mom and dad still married after, what's it now, 48 years almost, I think. Um, you know, still together, still very relevant in my, in my life and a brother that's always supported me. You know, friends that, that's been supportive in, in, um, in so many things that I do. Uh, and when I was going through those injuries, you know, surgeons, doctors, trainers, and 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 physiotherapists that that really wanted me to get back, uh, and wanted me to get better, and and some of those people I have relationships with to this day still, you know. So, I think that's what that's what really got me through. And then there need to be a willingness to to want to get better and work hard and and st- stick through through all the pain. Carl, you know what, like, my brief re- recollection of, of Jean as a player, and Jean, even listening to you now, the thing that strikes me about you is your consistency. I get the sense that whatever's happening in your outside world, you seem to have the ability to remain consistent internally or certainly externally to people. Um, and maybe that was just one of your biggest strengths, Um I'm not sure. That's just a little mini hypothesis that I came up with, but it's it's coming across to me now in this conversation. No, good. And and, and sometimes it's 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 good to to get input from other people to tell to to tell me about myself. You know, because sometimes it, it it makes you think then, and, and and maybe that is something that is a positive for me. Um, yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't have the answer to that, but but I've had a lot of consistency in in my life in, in terms of the support that I've had. So, you know, what, what I have to achieved and whether that is deemed to be success or not, you know, it's very much because of the people that has been on the journey with me. Mm. Wow, Sean, yeah, so interesting. I, um, we, we sort of need to wrap it up because um, I know you've got things to do as well. I wanted to know if you were, it's a question we ask a lot of people at the end, if you were to put together a... Um, no, I'm going to ask you one more question before that. Sorry, if you don't mind. Um, I'll, I'll burn that last one. If you've got to go. I, I, I am fascinated to know you did play at Province for a long period of time. And without this being, we can edit this, but without this being like a boots and all type conversation, you, you, you had some success, but I reckon um, 
like if you look back at it, it would have been nice to have won a little bit more. You know, some big Super Rugby titles. And if you think about the talent that, that you had, like if you were to look back at the impact of the whole system on the team, um, were there things that you think could have been done differently that might have helped the team be successful for a longer period of time? Sure, Tom. Uh, that's quite a quite a difficult question to end off the conversation <laughs> with. But the answer is always Couldn't yes. Yeah, the answer is always yes that we could have we could have done so many things differently to have more success. Um, you know, but but again, it's 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 not my, you know, we we didn't do it back then, and it's not my job to re- rectify it now. Um, but but I suppose the the sad thing in a way is is when you when you see the same mistakes being made over and over and over again and you and you don't see that you know the the you don't see the positive change that needs to happen in that environment so you know from a player point of view we, we were disappointing at times from a from a organization point of view you know we weren't you know we weren't treated well at times uh, and at times we were treated fantastically you know so so it's it has a direct impact on the um you know, on on the players and on the on the team, um, but yeah, would I have done things differently? I, I certainly would have would have changed changed quite a bit in the way that we did it back then. Mm. I just think it's you know in sports often when a team wins, everything is attributed to like X, Y, and Z. Like that's why they won. And when a team loses, you go, well, you lost because of that. But actually, the formula for success is a way more complex formula. A lot of which which is completely out of your control. You know. Yeah, and, and also I think it's it's not about you know because sport sport is sometimes you you win every single game that you play in the league phase and then you lose in the final. Now come on, even though, soon, even, though, <laughs> even though you even though you might be the better team, you know yes, sometimes you help that. <laughs> sometimes you go into a test match, um, you know, as a powerhouse of world rugby, and you play against a a, a, a so called minnow like Japan, and you lose. Uh, and that happens. And, and I experienced that. You know, so, so success shouldn't be judged by that, by only a result. It's being able to create an environment where there's long-term success. Mm. Then, then you are successful. Every, everyone can win every now and then. And sometimes you're lucky and you, you win a, you know, you, you, you win games that you shouldn't have. And sometimes you lose games that you shouldn't have. But it's being able to create that environment where that is conducive to long-term success, where over a period of time, it's not, you know, then we finish 12th and then we finish first. It's like we, we're either winning or we're in the top four or, or, or top five kind of thing. John, was that one of your um, motivators for staying at province for so long? Because you were able to have a longer-term effect on things? Yeah, look, I, I would like to think so. And I just love the Cape. Yeah, you know, I, I love what we have here. I love what what you know life offers me um, um, outside of the rugby, and and I love the union that I represented. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's I suppose it's part of the decision decision why why I stayed here for so long. Um, and 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 the people, you know, I, I make good friends, so it helps. 
Sean de Villiers, what a champion. Thank you so much, man. Jeez, it was it was a privilege to chat to you. Um, and it was, not, yeah, it was nice to go a little bit deeper and understand some of your thinking. And, and I know you're going to do amazing things at Citadel and in other parts of your life, and, and probably most importantly as a husband and a, and a dad. So um, thank you so much for all that you gave us as a rugby player, but, but also thank you for this conversation. It was fascinating. Thomas, cool this, guys. This, it was it was fun. This is the deepest I've ever heard John go. So I mean, like, I feel like we should premiere this on some big radio network or something because <laughs> this was John, some phenomenal honesty. Thank you so much, man. That was really, really wonderful. No, cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 nice to reminisce sometimes as well, and uh, yeah, and get into the deepest stuff. It's important and very relevant these days. Lovely. Thanks, John. We'll chat soon, man. Thank you very cool, much. Guys. Ciao. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Yes. Bye. Um, sure. Thank you. Nice to talk to another Springbok captain. Two Springboks uh, on the on the line. Carl, your your take on that? What a, what a treat for you, eh, Tom? No, <laughs> it was kidding. such a treat. <laughs> um, I, I like I just said to you now. I absolutely loved that conversation. You know, and I think if if we could, I don't know, somehow lure people into listening just through an intro would be great because uh, this was a great great listen. Um, and I think a very easy flowing conversation with so many wonderful stories and and. I, I was quite impressed by um, John's honesty, you know, and, and his, his willingness willingness to open up about mistakes that he's made throughout his career. Uh, we chatted before. He's a very dry, sense of humor kind of guy, loves the, the banter. But this was fantastic. I really enjoyed this and, and got to sort of shine a different, uh, uh, shine a light on a different side of him that I haven't seen for a long time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, he's always sort of associated with banter and laughter and what have you. And it was nice to see that side of him. I think, as I said in the chat, I really believe there's a consistency about him that I sort of only thought about when we were when we were talking. And I was like, hang on, you know, I always look at people. I'm like, what's this guy's thing? You know, what is his unique? What is his unique thing? And then I looked at it and I was like, I think Sean's just probably the same all the time. And that's what. He's just rock solid, you know, and, 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 and I think obviously an immensely talented player that people would look up to for his ability, but I think he would just be rock solid and you knew what you were going to get. And I think yeah. in, a, in an uncertain environment, in a volatile environment that high performance sport often can be, uh, that's probably a really, really solid trait. So yeah, that Thank was my takeaway. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Thanks, no, Carl. Thank you. Thanks for we'll, arranging. Yeah. Thank you. We'll chat soon. All right. Cheers, bye. bye.